Okay. But like, I'm in a good place right now. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. You are in a good place. I'm in a blanket fort. <laughs> so, yes. Everything is... We have lights in a blanket. Hello and welcome to Opera Apero. My name is Sophia. And on today's episode, we're going to talk about an English language opera. Um, which I think might be the first English language opera that I've focused on. Yeah. I don't think they're as fun as regular operas, but this one is interesting. Um, and on the show is my friend Christina. Hi, I'm Christina. Welcome. Thank you. How do we know each other? Ah, Sophia, uh, we know each other because you are my first official new friend in Berlin. So I moved to Berlin in October of 2020, and I met you through a mutual friend, Ellen, who was on your show last week, two weeks ago. And uh, we were having a girls' night in Berlin, and we ate donor and drank Berliner Luft. So it was a really, <laughs> it was a very official welcome to Berlin. And uh, we have since continued to bond over running and roller skating and exploring Berlin as expat dual citizens. <laughs> exactly. Cool. Um, have you seen an opera before? I have seen one opera. Uh, I think similar to a previous guest that you have had, I did the uh, basic teenage girl obsession with Rent. Uh, growing up in San Diego, I think Rent had some connection to the La Jolla Playhouse. And so it was uh, just huge for me when I was like 13, 14. And so at some point... I went to LA with my mom and we saw La Boheme. And I don't remember a lot about it, but I do remember the subtitles on the screen off to the side of like trying to help you follow mm -hmm. along. Um, as we have also talked about, I'm a huge Rufus Wainwright fan and he has a couple operas, which I feel like I should listen to. Um, but I have to say, like hearing what, topic you picked. One of the reasons I I think I've not dove into that the way I have his other music is because I don't understand the words. And that to me is like, ah, it just makes it hard to embrace the storyline of a song when I can't really follow along with the lyrics. So I'm excited to see what we're in store for today. Yeah, I don't know. For me, English language operas are, I feel a little bit more like Boring. I don't know. Boring is the wrong word. They're just not as like fiery and passionate. <laughs> um, they're very serious because I guess I guess that's like a stereotype about like the English, perhaps. Mm, that's interesting. And I think I think uh, my I don't know avoidance of foreign language music probably comes from my insecurity about only speaking English um, and some not great Spanish and now some not great German. But I think as I've been living in Germany for six months now and picking up more, this is my first time living abroad, my first time living in a foreign lang foreign speaking country, foreign language to me. Um, and I think I'm getting over a little bit of that complex. I think I'm becoming more open minded about just absorbing what I can and mm -hmm. not like having this perfectionist attitude about language and just trying to enjoy yeah. as much of it as I can. And so I think maybe between your podcast and my experience here, I can be more open-minded, <laughs> less less concerned, less um, self-conscious. Well, that's good because Ellen and I already made plans to watch Carmen the Opera on your Beamer. Uh, oh, perfect. Yeah. 
<laughs> um, okay, then let's get into the episode, the, the opera itself. Um, you, I, we, as uh, listeners might know, I like to ask my guests what kind of sh- stories they are into and um, kind of tailor the opera around that. And I, I, we had this whole conversation and then I kind of just uh, scrapped it <laughs> because I thought this one might have some more um, interesting, relevant themes. Uh, and so... I hope it works out. It was a meandering conversation. It was. It did not have a final destination. And um, I was thinking, oh, when Sophia asks me what kind of opera I asked for, I am not going to remember what we landed on. So thank you. Oh, I mean, I had ideas based off of what you gave me, but then I decided to go in a completely different direction. Anyways. <laughs> Creative license. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So the opera today is called The Rake's Progress. Um, and it's rake. Yeah. Okay. The rake's progress. Uh, it's, uh, composed by Igor Stravinsky. Um, do you know what a rake is? Yeah. Isn't it kind of like a philandering ne'er-do-well young gentleman? Yeah, it is. Yes. (laughs) I think I know that from the Decemberist song, uh, the rake song or the rake something, um, Yeah, it's definitely in uh, December's lyric, if not song title. Okay, super interesting, because I was like, oh, by the time I release this episode, everyone will know what a rake is, because Bridgerton was released in, like, December, and they're always calling, like, the the Duke, like, male character in that show a rake, and it's because he is, like, very much like a a ladies' man, and uh, (laughs) going around and drinking and partying. So that's that's what a rake is, and um, it's from, like, 18th century England. Um, so that's kind of, like, where this opera takes place is in 18th century England. And some background. As we all know, I know nothing about history. I know nothing about these timelines. So when I watched the opera, I just assumed Stravinsky was also from 18th century England. He's not. <laughs> he was born in the late 1800s, and he died in the 1970s. So this opera was actually, like composed in the late 40s and had its premiere in 1951 in Venice. Uh, so it's kind of a modern opera, and I didn't. And Stravinsky's actually like a modern composer. Fun fact, I just assume all composers are really old. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, <laughs> but actually one of the reasons for that is because also like the music in the opera, um, as I was reading it, and is more a, like neo-Mozart apparently is what it was labeled, and Mozart is definitely like an old style old school um, should not refer to classical music as old school my I, none of this means anything to me but I, I am curious is Stravinsky British then or is he so it's set in England what's his so um Stravinsky as you might detect from his name and is Russian uh but Stravinsky lived all over the place so he left Russia at some point like he lived in Switzerland he lived in France he spent time in London and he also lived in the States and so while he was in the States he went to a museum and saw this like um collection of paintings called the Rake's Progress and so it was from this like British painter um who created I think like eight paintings that tell the story of like this man just going from being like a uh, um, I'm so curious what direction the progress is going to be in. 
Okay. <laughs> well, maybe I won't say what direction the, the painting's going. Um, so he saw those, those paintings and then he kind of um, and took that idea of the story and took it to the, the librettists and then they came up with this opera. Um, and well, let's get into it. Um, the opera opens. We're in the British countryside and um, our main character, Tom Rakewell, is talking to um, his beloved Anne Trulove. Okay, these names? Oh, the names <laughs> will get better. Um, <laughs> so they're, fian- they're engaged and um, they're just having a little love ballad. Uh, and then Anne's father comes out because they're at her house and... Um, He's uh he's a little concerned about her choice with a uh, with with a mate, um, and he's like, you know what, you're marrying my girl, so I've like arranged with some uh, connections in the city for you to get this accounting job, and Tom goes, oh, I appreciate the effort, but no thanks, and uh and and the dad's just like it's really concerning to me how much you uh try not to work <laughs> for it's very concerning for my daughter's future and tom's like don't worry about it like she'll be taken care of and it's just like what no that doesn't sound very reassuring it's not uh father true love is not reassured oh but he rakes so well rakes so good um, yeah, so at this point, Tom, the, the dad is like, oh, fuck, all right, fine. And he, like, goes back inside, and Tom has, like, a little song where he sings about, like, uh, just enjoying life and how he wants to profit off of his luck in life, and um, that's how he'll get by. And then he finishes this song, and at the end he goes, well, I just wish I had money. Uh, and at this moment, a new character arrives at the the garden gate and uh, in announces himself he says he comes in and he's like oh are you tom rakewell and tom's like yes and he's like okay well, like i'm here to inform you that um your long lost forgotten uncle has died and left you a massive fortune the man is also also introduces himself his name is nick shadow oh no <laughs> uh yeah, okay, so to note, one thing about this opera is that it is almost very fairy tale like. Okay. <laughs> um, there's some whimsical aspects to it. Okay. Uh, and so, and Tom is like, oh, wow, this is great news. He like lets Anne and her father know, and they're like, oh, wow, amazing. Um, and then they're like, you know, just one thing, we have to like go into the city to complete all the paperwork. Let's Let's go. And so Tom is like overwhelmed, and he's like, wow, all right, we're going to go. And he uh and i'll be right back i'm gonna go get all get all the stuff get the money be back we'll get married and have a beautiful life together and um then he turns to nick and he's like you know i'm not i'm not uh used to these situations of having to uh employ someone or like have someone at my like uh service uh what what is your wage and nick says listen um i like served your forgotten long lost uncle um so, listen, I will continue to serve you, and you don't have to pay me right now. Um, I would rather you see what I can offer you, see my services, and then um, a year and a day from now, 
you can pay me what you found valuable. Okay. And uh, Tom... A little, a little try before you buy. A little dealer special. First, first year's free. <laughs> yeah. So Tom is just like, fantastiche. Like, that's great. Let's go. Um, and they head off for London. Yeah. Um, leaving Anne and Father True Love behind. <laughs> so they've left... And now they get to London, and where do they go? Nick Shadow takes Tom Rakewell to the brothel. I was going to say strip club, but yeah, that was... <laughs> <laughs> they go to the brothel. There's this fun scene with all the, like, there's a bunch of soldiers and a bunch of whores, and they're dancing about and singing, blah, blah. So the wenches and the soldiers are all dancing around, and um, the brothel is run by Mother Goose. I'm I'm struggling here. Is that her name or is she a goose? Are we That's her name. Okay. We're not off into the like magical realism of like um talking animals. Madam no. Madame Goose. No. <laughs> no, she's a she's a woman. Her name is Mother Goose. So it's Mother Goose's brothel. Wow. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm a little floored at these names. <laughs> Yeah, so Nick kind of introduces Tom to this, like, sleazy London lifestyle. Um, and Nick and Mother Goose and Tom are all talking, and they are talking about, like, how it's there's no fun in following rules. Like, the point of life is to pursue, like, beauty uh, and pleasure. Just and, hedonistic. Yeah, yeah. Um and Tom, at this point, is already, like, expressing some, like, anxiety and stress about, like, betraying his love. Um, oh, so there was a conscience there before. Yeah, like, he's literally, like, in love with... He's in love with Anne, yeah. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, he's, like, super duper in love. I probably did not state that point enough, like... It's hard not to get hung up on the name Rakewell and, like, just kind of assume that he, you know, especially with the, you know, I don't want to work or s make an effort to support your daughter. I just want to get lazy and lucky. Mm -hmm. um, I guess that maybe was less clear that yeah. he, he had good. Yeah. No, but they're like both very, like very much in love with each okay. other. So like now that he's like separated and like in this brothel, he has some anxiety. He's just like, I'm betraying my love and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. um, Before so he gets all loosey goosey with... So at this point, he's like, okay, when the clock strikes one, we're going to leave. Like, I'm, we got to, we got to get out of here before I do anything. And, and um, the clock strikes one and Nick goes and like turns the clock back to 12. And it's just like, listen, time is yours. Like, you don't have to follow the clock. Like, it's yours. Like, do it what you want with the time. And then Mother Goose like takes him by the hand and like, brings her him to her bed and he just uh goes along with it and so then wait so nick turned the clock back or tom did nick did okay nick shadow so he's trying to like lure and uh i don't know sully this this man okay and then mm -hmm. ultimately he gets with mother goose mother hen <laughs> yeah so then he he's he he goes and uh they have their uh dalliance um so Tom and Mother Goose go off and and um, then the next scene is Anne back in the countryside. 
she hasn't heard from Tom and she's worried and she's like, he's so naive and blah, blah, blah. And she's just like, she makes a decision to go and travel into the city and find him and save him. And so that's how act one ends is with her going and leaving. Um, yeah. Okay. Exciting. God. Oh my God. Act two. Such a great act. <laughs> There's only three acts in this whole shindig. So this is, oh God, I love it. Um, act two. Fast forward, and Tom has a house, because he does have this, you know, he got his massive fortune, he went and got a house and whatnot, he has a house in London, and he's, like, sitting and having breakfast, the window's a little open, so you can hear all the sounds of the city floating up into the the flat, Um, and, and he's just thinking about how bored he is with his life, he has this, like, beautiful, like, decadent lifestyle, and he's just bored, and he's, he goes, like, I just, I wish I were happy, and then in walks Nick Shadow, his faithful servant, and says, have you seen that this like a uh, circus or like fair kind of thing is in, in, in the city? And look who's starring. It's this uh, bearded lady. Her name is Baba the Turk. Um, and Nick is like, uh, Tom is like, oh, wow. Okay. No, I like, I'd heard the like circus, but I've never seen it or anything. Uh, and so Nick says, well, if you want happiness, marry Baba the Turk. And Tom is like, what? Nick is like, are you attracted to her? And Tom is like, not at all. Uh, like, not, no, no. Um, and Nick uses this logic, which would work perfectly on me, probably, uh, where he's like, well, actually by marrying someone so outside the realm of like conventional society, the act of marrying this person is like an expression of like your like will and your like your free will. And it's, it will be like your chance to experience like true freedom. And in that freedom, you will find happiness. Fascinating. So just like the refusal to comply with Mm -hmm you know conventional beauty standards or romantic partner standards is freeing in and of itself but just like so yeah so he's like yeah you he's like most people go about their days they most like young men find like a beautiful young woman and they fall in love and then they get married and they achieve that but then they turn their focus to something else and they turn their focus to like a job or like a career or something and they focus on that and then he's like and they get trapped in this thing and then he's like but you have like this you can like circumvent all that and go in this direction that no one else goes and this will be your expression of yeah freedom okay and thereby happiness it's like you you just take a sharp left off the path to you're not even on the the path less traveled you're on you're trailblazing at this point and so there's zero expectations about what happens next and yeah yeah, no trail has been laid. Yeah, so Tom is like, all right, sold. Um, <laughs> what does Baba have to say about this? I would assume there'd be some level of consent for her. Oh, well, listen, so this is Nick being like, look at this young lady. And so now Tom has to go woo her. Okay. Um, so so he still has a challenge here. Yeah, he has to, he's like decided in his mind that he wants to pursue her as a romantic partner. And so... That, like, just, like, you know, you have to make that decision before you actually go ahead with it. Yeah. Um, so they go off to go meet her, and he goes off to try to marry her. The next scene, 
Anne arrives at Tom's house. So she's come into the city. She's found Tom's house and she's like kind of like lingering outdoors, like peeking in the window and being like, wow, he has all this stuff and blah, blah. And um, then she sees, um, you know, like when you have four people carrying the little like, it's like a, if you had a carriage, but without the wheels and just like those poles that people are carrying. Yes. That. Cool. Yeah, so that pulls up to the house, and Tom comes out, and he sees Anne, and Anne sees him, and they're like, oh my gosh, blah, 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 and like, they're having like a little moment, and like, Tom is just like, you need to leave, and she's like, what? And he's like, yeah, I, he's like, just leave, You're dis- you'll be disappointed in me, just go back home, just forget about me. And she's like refuses because she doesn't really understand why. Yeah, she true loves. And then, what? Whose voice do we hear coming from inside the sedan? We hear Baba the Turk's voice going, "Um, like my dear, like why have you not come around to like escort me out of the sedan? Like I don't like to wait. Like what is keeping you?" Oh. Um. And he's just like, and, and Anne's like, what? And he's like, Anne, this is my wife, Baba the Turk. Oh, so by the time she gets there, he's already bought a house, seduced Baba, and now they're married. So it like took her a minute to get there. I mean, I guess there's like sus- some suspension of disbelief, but I mean, yeah, that's that's fast because I'm assuming. It still hasn't been a year because I feel like that one year and one day mark is going to be mm-hmm. something that comes up later. Yeah. It has not been a year. No. Okay. No. Um, but yeah. So um, Tom is like, yes, this is my wife. And um, they're both kind of sad for a moment together. And then Anne just kind of like leaves and Tom escorts Baba up the like walkway to um, the door of the house and is actually a really fun number because Baba the Turk is this, like, she's a performer, right? Like, she's part of the circus. And so also when she gets out of the carriage, she has um, a veil covering the bottom half of her face. So you can just see her eyes. Um, and she has this, like, elaborate outfit on. And she does this kind of, like, song and dance up the stairs. And, there's, and then, like, there's all these people who have showed up to, like, see her and are, like... Just like kind of like, you know, like yelling at a performer and being like, oh my gosh. And she's just like feeding off their energy and they're like, yeah. And then she like does this whole song and dance that ends with her revealing her like beard, her like luscious beard. <laughs> um, and yeah, that's the introduction to Baba. And so then that's the end of that scene. And then the next scene, it opens up um, into the daily life of Baba and Tom's marriage, which is, as you may predict, terrible um it's not going well bummer because again baba is this fun i love her (laughs) yeah no she's she sounds awesome baba the turk is like they're hanging out on the breakfast table and she's just going she's chattering i hate that word because it's like only used to to describe women but every everything says that she's chattering and so well it's fun it's only described used to describe women because like they're doing fun things (laughs) 
It's a positive. We're fun. We're yeah. fun. We're just chattering. We're chattering we're now. Yeah. <laughs> we're doing it. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So she's going on and on about like, oh, like I got this when I was in Paris or maybe I got it when I was in Istanbul. And like, she's just like talking and talking. And then she's like, Tom, like, you're not like responding to anything I say. Like, well, you're not like, like it, what's wrong. And it could, she's like, what's like, why are you, why are you glum or and stuff? Um, and he's just, like, so, like, bored and irritated with her. And he's just, like, like, leave me alone. Like, I don't, I don't care. And um, then she flies into a rage because she's just, like, why am I here? Like, you just ignore me and you don't treat me well and you don't let. And she's just, like, throwing this, like, uh, like, just, yeah, arguing and being, like, very, uh, angry calling him out for not participating in their marriage (laughs) probably i mean i would imagine if your partner wasn't responding or engaging with you you might uh you know Mm -hmm. try to do something to provoke their engagement yeah so she does do this and uh she's so uh one might say feisty that she starts breaking like a couple of items. She breaks like a vase or something. Um, and uh, then Nick, uh, Tom is just like so annoyed and frustrated that he throws um, in all the, lib- in the bread- libretto, it calls it a wig. Um, he throws a wig over her. Um, but like for the purposes of our imagination, I think it's easier to think about it as like, he throws like a, like a, a cloth over her, okay. uh, which silences her. Like, so She's kind of like, he throws this cloth over her and she just kind of like freezes like a statue. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> now I want to know what happens next. <laughs> um, and now that Baba has been silenced, uh, Tom finally has some peace. What does he do with this peace? He promptly falls asleep and takes a nap. Um, while he's sleeping, Nick shows up on stage and wheels in this little machine um and he it's kind of this scene this little like part of a scene where he's actually displaying something to the audience and he shows um he takes like part of the broken vase and puts it into the machine and outside out of the machine comes a loaf of bread oh um but then there he opens like a little hidden compartment puts the bread back in and then like just rejiggers the whole thing so it's actually just like a fake machine it doesn't actually like turn things into loaves of bread um and he kind of like puts it right by where tom is sleeping and then tom wakes up and tom's like i had the weirdest dream i had this dream where like i had a machine that can turn stone into bread and nick is like oh interesting like did it did it look something like that and tom looks at it and he's like i must still be dreaming (laughs) and He's like, that's exactly what it looked like. That's the machine. <laughs> oh my gosh. And Nick is like, I know. And you know what? You could make so much money off of this. A machine that can turn stone into bread? You could solve world hunger. You know how many investors you would have in this? And Tom is like, yes. What a great idea. You know what? This is my next business pursuit. I'm going to go about producing more of these machines and then market them and make a lot of money. And so he goes off and does that. 
Okay. And that's how act two ends. Okay. I mean, I I don't know what's going to happen next, but like, doesn't he test it? Doesn't he test the machine a little? I don't know if maybe you've noticed that Tom is a very naive person. Yeah, naive and like um, lazy a little bit or just like... Or also, I guess there's naive, but then there's also... um, Willfully ignorant. (laughs) Easily influenced. Uh, Yeah. So if like Nick tells Tom that it works, then he's going to be like, well, then it works. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And just like trusting. Yeah. Yeah. Poor guy. Naive. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Um... But so act three, also, my, my personal synopsis of act three starts with, okay, so that clearly failed. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for confirming that for me. Yeah, it clearly fails. Um, and so act three is just like further in the future after this failure, it opens up in Tom's apartment in Tom's house and, uh, Actually, like every all of his possessions have been tagged, and he's like broke, and like this is the scene of where they're actually going to be auctioning off all the possessions in the house. Um, and interestingly enough, Bob the Turk is still where we have left her, still covered with this sheet. Um, Spooky. And so, people are in the house, like looking over all the different items and getting ready for the auction. The auctioneer oh, no. comes in, um, and. The auctioneer comes in, starts, like, auctioning off certain things. Um, He pulls the sheet off of Bob with a Turk, and she comes right back to life, right back to, like, the middle of the song where she was, like, silenced. Um, And they do that in the, like, in the opera. She's, like, singing mid-song. The sheet, oh, that is cool. Okay, I like that a lot. Yeah, and so she's singing mid-song when he puts the sheet over her. And so when they take the sheet off, she just comes right back to life and finishes, like, the sentence or whatever she few verses she had in that song until she like her character like realizes what's going on and like sees all these people like in her home buying her stuff wow um at which point she gets mad at them instead and is just like get the fuck out (laughs) um but also Anne has come back and um, is looking for Tom because Anne is constantly looking for Tom and trying to save him and I want to save her from that life. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh my god, it's really hard to stay neutral in these <laughs> summaries. Um, but yeah, and so Anne is there looking for him, and she can see the situation. And Baba sees Anne too, and is like, Baba's like, sees her, and she's like, you know what? Go find Tom. He still loves you. Just go find him. Like, you might still be able to, like, save him. Um, and Anne is, one, overjoyed about the fact that Tom still loves her. There's hope, yes. Yeah. Uh, and she's like, well, what about you? And um, Baba's like, I'm going to go back to the stage. I'm going to go back to my lucrative performance career. <laughs> and, um, like, this was, like, a fun little interlude. Um don't worry about me. Starter marriage. <laughs> That's what my dad likes to call them. When you get married young and divorced in your 20s, it's your starter marriage. Oh my God. So Baba just moved on quick, it sounds like. Yeah. She's thriving. Yeah. Uh, she was thriving before and she will thrive again. 
Yeah. So, um, yeah. So she says that. So then Anne goes to find Tom and then Baba like goes and takes her leave as well. And so the next scene opens and we, it is nighttime. It's dark out. We are in a graveyard. Um, and what's visible is that there's a freshly dug grave. Okay. <laughs> I like I like the spooky setting. Yeah. Um so Nick and Tom walk into the graveyard and are chatting and Tom is like, This is quite spooky. Like, Nick, why have you brought me here? So by by freshly dug you mean it's like an open grave. Like Yeah. It's oh, oh no. um and nick goes well it's been a year and a day and this is when we agreed you would pay me and tom goes well i know we agreed that but you know i'm like very poor right now you know i just had this failed like business um venture and you know that if i had the money i would pay and blah blah and nick goes no i i i don't want your money um Actually, I it's like you have to pay me with your soul, uh, and he pulls out several options uh, for which Tom for which Tom can then uh, kill himself with. Bef- and he's like, by midnight, you will pick one of these, and um, you know, get in there. <laughs> uh, and Tom is just like, oh shit. And Tom is like a little like weeping baby, and um, yeah, I mean, like fair enough. Mm-hmm. I would also probably be really scared and creeped out at this point. Yeah, um, and they're having like back and forth, and Tom is you know like begging and pleading and whatnot, and Nick is like, "Fine, we've spent all this time together, and maybe I have uh, like a dose of friendship or mm. kinship towards you." And so he's like. We will play, a, I will play a card game uh, for you to get have a chance to like save your soul, and so Tom is like, fine, yeah, of course, any chance, right? Um, and the game is that Nick is has a deck of cards, and this, is gonna... this already feels like it's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> any card game thing <laughs> well i mean after after the like having the wool pulled over his eyes the first time i don't think i'd be like yeah yeah whatever on your terms <laughs> nick shadow <laughs> okay by this point if it's not clear nick shadow is the devil oh absolutely <laughs> okay <laughs> um so i don't know too many other people who just like want souls <laughs> Um, so Nick Shadow is just like, um, well, I'll draw three cards. I'll draw one card at a time and then we'll draw the card. You tell me, guess what the card is. And if you get all three cards right, you get to walk away with your life. Um, and so with the first card, Tom is like, oh my God, my like beloved, my dear, like he like in his darkest moments, he like thinks of her and thinks about like her beauty and her like love and everything. And it lets him try it. She try he tries to like gain knowledge from that about what the card's going to be. And so he says the queen of hearts. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and he gets it right. Okay. And then Nick is like, all right, and he discards the card. And then they shuffle again and pulls another card, and um, Tom is stressed. Every every card, there's like a little bit of song where he's stressed and blah, blah, blah. Um, in this one, he's like the two, like two of spades, and he gets it right. Um, and Nick is like, what? <laughs> um, <laughs> and so Nick tries to be shady and puts the queen of hearts back in oh. to the deck. Um, and then at this point, like we can hear like Anne in the background, like singing and Tom can also kind of like sense this. It's kind of this like mystical, like love connection that they are supposed to have. And so he hears like her singing and her searching and her like effort and love for him. And is it like inspired by this? And he's like, my queen, my queen of hearts. He's like the queen of hearts again. And wow. he gets it right. So mm. he's gotten all three cards and Nick's shadow. And then the clock strikes 12 and Nick, sh- it's midnight. And so Nick's shadow is just like pissed and mad. And he descends down into the freshly dug grave. Like he descends like into the earth. Um, and as he does so, he curses Tom uh, with insanity. Oh, oh, that's not fun at all. No. Um. But then Tom has won his life, but been cursed to insanity. Oh. And um, then, then, so yes, yeah, so Nick's shadow goes down, and then it's nighttime, and then the sun rises as dawn is breaking, and Tom is sitting there, and he's like starting to go mad already, and oh. he's calling himself Adonis. Mm. Um, and adonis is the god of beauty and desire in greek mythology yeah was he no he wasn't the one that like fell into the lake no no that's narcissus okay right yeah i think so yeah okay so adonis is just handsome and hot Mm -hmm. okay so the next scene opens and we are in an insane asylum called bedlam hmm yeah um and so Tom is in the insane asylum and Anne comes to visit him. And when, before she goes in to see him, the, like the keeper of the asylum warns her, like, listen, he thinks of himself as Adonis, this, like what he, only what he responds to. So like, just go along with it. Um, because that'll like make everything easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's like, all right, thanks for the heads up. And she goes in and sees him and Tom sees her and he's like, oh my gosh. And he's like, my Venus. And they have all this like love ballad where they just like talk about themselves as like Venus and Adonis and like their marriage. And they have this like fantasy world where they're together and stuff. Um, and and like plays along with this fantasy. And then she also kind of like sings him to sleep. Um, and once he's like fallen asleep, she leaves and she's very... She's sad, but, like, ha- yeah, she's sad. Yeah. Um, but, like, happy that it's in a more, like, controlled situation, maybe. Um, and then after she leaves, Tom later on wakes up, sees that she's gone, and just desperately and sadly cries out, and then he dies. He just dies? Yeah. Oh. Huh. Interesting. Um... And although this is normally where I would go, and that's the end of the opera. (laughs) Um, That's not the end of the opera. (laughs) There's an epilogue. Okay. 
And so the epilogue, after the curtain comes down on that last scene, um, what happens is that the main characters actually come out in stage on, on in front of the curtain and in a line and sing one little song about and where they just kind of like talk about their moral. About, yeah, that's like the don't do drugs, stay in school. <laughs> They're like, what was the purpose of our this character? Um, yeah, exactly like that. And so they come out and the, the wrap the bow on top of the after school special. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> So I have the actual, it's very short, but so for Anne, she says, not every rake is rescued at the last by love and beauty. Not every man is given an Anne to take the place of duty, which it's like the moral of Anne's story is that it's not even about Anne. It's that not every man is lucky enough to have a woman like her to come rescue him. That shouldn't be our jobs. (laughs) No. We're gonna we're gonna get to that, I'm sure. Um, okay, the moral of Baba's story is never trust men. Oh, her little. I ditty. thought it was just keep on hustling, <laughs> but don't let anyone throw a sheet over you. <laughs> See a man coming at you with a sheet, run the other way. <laughs> You're trying to make me a statue. <laughs> <laughs> um, her little ditty goes. Let Baba warn the ladies. You will find out sooner or later that good or bad, all men are mad. All they say or do is theater. Wow. I yeah. mean, I don't feel like we should hate on, I mean, hashtag not all men. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, it's it's fine for an after school special. <laughs> We're trying to keep it high level here, folks. Yeah. Um, and so then Tom's little ditty is, if I summarize it, is... You're not all that, so don't go acting around like you are. <laughs> don't go chasing waterfalls. Yeah. His little actual what the words are are beware, young men who fancy you are Virgil or Julius Caesar, lest when you awake you be only a rake. Oh, wow! Mm-hmm. Some interesting. Uh... There's one oh. more. Oh, are Wait. we gonna hear from Nick? Wait, oh my. wait, so after Tom says that part, the one line that Father True Love gets in this whole bit and goes, I heartily agree. <laughs> <laughs> I too, as a man. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I hate it. Um, and then Nick, Nick's like, the moral of Nick's story is it sucks to be him. In my opinion, here's what he says. He says, day in, day out, poor shadow must do as he is bidden. Many insist I do not exist. At times, I wish I didn't. Uh, The, like, inevitability of evil there. It's like, I will just be around, like, lurking around. And so then they do sing one last song, one last couple verses all together. Um, that basically summarizes into the the saying of like the devil uh, finds work for idle hands. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and that is the moral of the story, and that's the end of the opera. So, is the moral of the story to get a real job? <laughs> 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 that generational wealth transfer is bad. <laughs> okay, I don't think I don't. No. <laughs> I don't think the inheritance was ever real. <laughs> Oh, good point. Yeah. <laughs> wow. It's when Tom goes into the city and moves to this new, like, hedonistic space. 
um, that all of these things happen. I mean, it's not the city. It's I think there are a lot of people who might frame it as the city is corrupting him and like the devil is what leads him into the city. But um, that's why I picked it for you because you just moved to Berlin. <laughs> This okay. hedonistic city. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And I mean, I, uh, I took a, I remember a class from college about like how cities offer anonymity and you can get away with like so much more. And I don't know that a lot of these theories, I think these theories are actually like maybe disproven and you can have real community even in cities. So I don't know uh, the validity of these uh, theories, but yeah, the idea of like, oh, now I can go into the city and I can, you know, sleep with Mother Goose. God, I can't believe Mother Goose didn't get a little uh, wrap up at the end. No. I I liked her. <laughs> Minor character. <laughs> you know, she she's major to some people. <laughs> major Goose. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Well, I do have to say... Berlin doesn't feel that hedonistic it's so far in the first six months that I've been here. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, a lot of things are closed down because of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, I don't think I'm chasing easy money or waterfalls. Um, I'm mostly just trying to go learn about the history of the city and, <laughs> you know, meet a few friends along the way. <laughs> but talk to me again when the uh, clubs open back up. <laughs> Maybe I'll feel differently. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so for me, like, I'm not saying that you're... I'm not the rake. (laughs) You're doing bad things. It's more the, like, idea of, like, the the duality, not duality, the dichotomy between cities and countryside, where the cities are where, like, bad stuff happens, and the countryside is where, like, the pure people live. Um, But also this, like, concept that Nick brings up when he's convincing uh, Tom to marry Baba, where it's, like oh, like, live outside the norms. And that's, for me, one of the biggest things about living in Berlin is that I feel like when I talk to friends back in the States, they just say things where I'm like, wait, oh, right, I forgot that's just, like, an assumed thing that everyone back there wants or is, like, working for. Or, like, even even the concept of monogamy in a relationship, I don't even assume anymore because it's you can't assume that in Berlin. You can't assume that someone is monogamous in their relationship here. You can't assume that because someone has like tons of tattoos, they also don't have like a family life with like a kid that they're support. It's like oh man. Yeah. Yeah. The, I just the assumption yes, the assumption breaking is huge here. And I think I said this to someone recently about life here is like, it's not like everyone is living like outside social norms or whatever it is. It's like, to your point, you have families, you have, I mean, especially with like work context, you meet people with like very different lifestyles, but everyone's so open-minded that, yeah, you kind of stop stop making assumptions about people in general, even Mm -hmm. like, where are you from? Or you know, are you from Germany? Are you not from Germany? Have you lived in these different countries? I mean, even 
just the, I don't want to say the basics, but yeah, like origin stories or (laughs) things like that. Yeah. I mean, gender or, um, yeah, sexual orientation, relationship styles. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. Shit. We're agreeing with the devil then, right? Like we're fully on, on board of like, yeah, (laughs) throw, throw off societal norms. And I actually like went through a, a phase in my, early to mid thirties where I got out of a long relationship. And at that point was like, well, it's like kind of late for me to be on this, like start dating someone in my twenties, get married in my thirties and have a kid. And like to be out of that script was really, really freeing for me. So I kind of went through this a few years ago, even before I moved to Berlin, where it was like, well, now that I don't have these expectations that I'm going to marry my partner and that I'm going to have a kid it's like, holy shit, the world is my oyster and I can do anything. And that's kind of how I ended up in Berlin and now just continuing to embrace that. Hmm. That's super cool. Yeah. The like freedom from the script. That's like, yeah. I think what is glossed over in the opera for, you know, plot's sake and uh, for, you know, moving the story along, but is this idea what you've mentioned about like Baba having some kind of like agency and the like choosing to get married. But like, I think from what we see of Baba's character, I don't think that she was like coerced into this marriage in any way. (laughs) She seems like she doesn't take shit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I think like, I think the part of it that's maybe like not really ideal is that Tom actually is in love with Anne, Anne, Mm -hmm. Anne. And so I think that's the part that doesn't fit the Berlin, I don't know, narrative that we were having is that if you love someone that's very traditional or classical or you want to be in a monogamous relationship, you want to get married in your 20s, you want to have kids, like that's also okay. Mm -hmm. It's more of just like, check yourself to make sure you're doing these things because it's what you really want. Don't don't marry someone who's outside the societal norms because Mm -hmm. you think you should do that in order to throw off some expectations. It's like, fuck the expectations first and then decide what you want. And if what you want is still aligned with societal norms, that's also okay. Yes, exactly. That's like the, the I think where it all goes wrong is that because like Nick is telling him, oh, this is the way you'll experience freedom is by throwing off these norms when it's like, actually, no, he just, he really does want the norms. He wants to be with Anne. And and like those are the those are the things of like okay we talk about the Berlin uniform which is like all black, which Sophia's wearing today although rarely. Yeah, I had to wear this today because we went to a protest. And let me tell you, I hate wearing all black. I want to wear colors. Yes, and that's the thing. It's like it's nice that you can get away with not thinking. I mean, I I do like this concept of like reducing your decision fatigue and wearing something that you don't have to think about in the morning. It's the same idea of like the makeup tax. It's like mm-hmm. remove the cognitive burden of the things that aren't important. So like, great. If you just have a lot of black clothes and you can throw on whatever, awesome. Um, like that can feel empowering. But like, I also love bright colors. I love bright things and pink and all of these things. Like I, I like that Berlin will also not make me feel like I have to wear black. Like it's just as acceptable here to show show up in furry bright rainbow pink 
clothing. Yeah, I feel like if you had showed up in a like an animal onesie to the protest today, it would have been totally fine too. Also fine. Yes. Yeah. Probably not safe for protests, like just like guidelines and like not being recognizable, but like <laughs> it would have been okay. Yeah. 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 So you were saying. Okay, so Tom's insane and like that sounds worse for Anne, I think. Like if he was just dead, she could kind of like be sad but move on. But like instead she's kind of like tied to this. But you think she likes it that it's like now he is off his rakishness. No, I feel like she's gotten like a sense of closure. Okay. That's like how I sensed it because in most of the uh storyline she's searching for him and she, when she finds him he's unavailable and but then in almost every other scene she's just looking for him and he's just out of this the this the frame okay like he's like it's always like a near miss and so it just it's this constant thing where like she doesn't get to have him and so i think him being in the insane asylum is like well at least now like i know where he is and I also know that he's not being influenced by Nick's shadow anymore. So when he's, like, safe from the world, he's safe from the devil. Um, and, yeah, I think also what it does do is, like, give her the opportunity to, like, go see him in this very controlled way. Yeah. And, I don't know, maybe it's, like, cliche to say it, but, like, closure? Yeah, no, I think closure sounds fair. And it's, like, he's not thriving but at least like no more pain will come to him like beyond the pain that well yeah i guess that happens at the end like i think um in terms of like the concept of a rake i definitely thought a rake was a little bit more of like a playboy like just banging their way through town not like i don't know i guess this wasn't exactly the concept i had of a rake um to quote you back to you, you said a rake is a, and I love this, a ne'er do well. <laughs> yes, I think that's also from a December's lyrics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, someone that's like really manipulative and flaky and like truly incapable of like that and true love level of love. A carefree libertine aristocratic man. Oh, okay. That's not really what I thought a rake was. A rake is a common archetype for the witty hero of a historical romance novel, hence why the word appears in so many titles. Okay. A rake is a lovable scoundrel. There's a wide spectrum of rakes. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, like, Sorry, that was so loud. That was great. I definitely burst out the audience. On the rake spectrum, are you like a one or a six? <laughs> So, like, the Bridgerton guy is, like, a one. I think our Tom Rakewell is, like, a two. And then, like, truly... Usually a rake is someone who has been around and has had a number of relationships. A man about town. You know, (laughs) if we were men, we might be rakes. (laughs) I would definitely be, like, a nice shovel or, you know, some kind of other gardening equipment. Maybe a wheelbarrow. Mom, I'm not a rake. (laughs) I want, like, a pin that says, Mom, I'm not a rake. Okay. I think it's more to do with the, like, social norms around, like, sex. Okay. In that time period. So, like, the time period that, like, rake was coined was, like, what, like, 1700s? Just, just, like, having sex with anyone is bad, even your wife. 
Yeah. I mean, like, maybe you have sex with a few, like, peasant ladies, and but nothing comes of it. But if you're, like, regularly having sex with the peasant ladies and the whores and, like, everyone around town, and, like, and then, like, getting into the families of some aristocrat, other aristocratic families, then you're a rake. I mean, surely there's, like, aristocratic men who had sex outside of uh, marriage every once in a while, but they weren't rakes. They weren't, like, destroying, like, proper women's reputations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, like, a the reputational part of it. I mean, I was going to say, like, it's not exactly like Tom banged a bunch of people in this play, but there are only three female characters, and he did have sex with all of them. <laughs> I don't know that he ever had sex with Anne. Good point. But he... Because they were never married. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even, like, if he had, like... Oh, wait. What's also interesting about this is that I think this is a really interesting way to show off the different voice types. So in this opera, um, Anne is a soprano, which is the highest female voice type, whereas um, Mother Goose and uh, Baba the Turk are both mezzo-sopranos. So it's this interesting way of showing that where the mezzo-soprano is a lower lower female voice, and so it is usually used for these more like seductive or darker female characters as opposed to the sopranos which tend to be in especially in this case it creates that contrast of Anne is the soprano and more pure whereas like the others are part of the city that's cool i like that yeah. and i i mean i could imagine like um a lower voice is probably closer to like a male voice. I don't know what the spectrum is because I don't know anything about opera, but like that maybe Baba behaving in more like traditionally male ways of like being independent and making her own money and being like fine with moving on from this marriage, being more outspoken. Like, yeah, I could see that the vocal, Mm -hmm. I don't know, what do you call it? Vocal range. Range, Yeah. yeah being closer to like male range than to like these high soprano ranges. That's very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Can we talk about the women? Yeah. Let's talk about the women. Yeah. Who do you identify with? Like Baba. <laughs> yeah. I love Baba. Well, yeah, I love her too. I like a- aspire to be like her. I also, hope I'm not mother goose. <laughs> okay. I just like, I don't know. I, there's not much going around with mother goose. Like she's just like also, the beginning of, like, his, like, descent into yeah, immorality. She, she greets people. She greets fresh men at Brandenburger Tour and is just like, welcome to the city. Let me bed you. It's the next dating strategy. Um, <laughs> I'm here for it. But um, Tom is weak. Yeah. What does Anne see in him? I don't know. I mean, he's like a little lover boy. Yeah, I mean, this is like, obviously, this is just me not loving the the genre of opera, I guess. But like, even when you were having your um, Carmen, was it Carmen Mm -hmm. story? It's like, where does this love come from? What is it built on this? It just feels so like, and you maybe you could get away with it in operas. But it's like, why? What is like, if he has all these personality flaws like Mm -hmm. like you maybe got to lean in a little bit more on like what's great about him and like i guess maybe you can get away with just saying but they loved each other and it's like yeah but yeah but i think this is where opera relies on the relatability of emotion rather than the plausibility of plot 
because I, the like idea, there's like all these like grand themes of like love. And it's like, when you love someone, you know, they're not per. Hopefully, you know, they're not perfect. But these plot lines don't give you anything. Like they give you. (laughs) (laughs) So again, like I'm happy to suspend disbelief because it's opera. And like, that's a good thing for me to know going into opera that like, there's going to be some love that I'm not going to find believable, but like, I'm just going to have to enjoy the song and like, let the, maybe the passion, the performance Mm -hmm. has like passion in it. Mm -hmm. And when we just talk about the plot, you miss that. And so it's, it's less believable, but yeah, I think maybe I'm going to have to just like check myself a little in terms of my cynicism about these, (laughs) (laughs) the validity of this love. Well, love yeah, thing. I mean, but that's what I think it does is that like it, 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 they sing about love and then the way they sing about love, if you've ever been in love, you just, I think there are things that you kind of can latch onto and like it brings up memories of your own and these like strong feelings, like it can like bring up those feelings and I guess I'm talking from my personal experience. I hope I'm not the only one. No, <laughs> I actually, I actually like that a lot because if you leave it kind so, of a blank oh, slate, you wait, maybe it's like projecting. Onto yeah, them. you ex- it, like if you try to be too prescriptive about the type of love, then it's less relatable. And if you can just say they love each other, then every individual can think about a person they've loved, and you can project your really long, passionate, hard-to-escape type of love on that. And and that makes it easier than, like, Anne loved Tom because he did these five things. Because she was this kind of person, and he matched XYZ on her checklist. She she was an INTJ. (laughs) Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. I think that, I mean, that's so much more powerful. And I think when you think about the medium of trying to get people tell a story and get people emotionally invested, like the vagueness is, is relatable. I love that. Wow. You've like transformed my perception of opera now. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Is that what we're here for all along? (laughs) No. Yeah. (laughs) Wow, that's like a that's a big takeaway for me. Like the the storytelling doesn't have to be concrete as long as it's relatable. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah, I think that's what I like is that it's relatable. That I can like project my feelings about Berlin onto this play that was written in the fifties about seventeenth century England. Yes, and and that's that's nice. But the love, the concept of love oh, in yeah. every. And one of your podcasts I've listened to, I'm just like, the love feels so, uh, it feels like a house of cards. It feels uh, yeah, it's insubstantial. Yeah. And so just this frame of the love is supposed to be the reflection of your own experience with love. And it's based on the assumption that everyone has had some experience. And so by keeping it generic, it can be more relatable than trying to actually define like a specific type of love. Or, mm-hmm. I mean, and that's very Berlin, right? Like to say like, there's no right way to have relationships here. There's no, like, instead of trying to define it with like criteria, it's just, a, it's a feeling and everyone should have their own interpretation of it. And I just love that. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, well, now I like Nick a lot. Or now I like Tom a lot more. I still don't like Tom. (laughs) I think he's too weak. Yeah, no, he's not someone I would fall in love with, but I just... I need someone with opinions so that I can fight them on all these opinions. (laughs) Oh, Baba. (laughs) (laughs) Sophia Baba. (laughs) Well, I will be sure not to throw a a towel over you if you're ever in the heat of the moment. (laughs) Yeah. What did you think about the opera overall? Overall, I... I mean, now I'm just... I'm glowing. I'm reflecting on this concept of love in opera and I can't I can't get it out of my head and so it's it's hard for me to reflect I think my initial impressions of the opera were um you know it's an interesting story and these the characters were great obviously really loved Baba really loved these the dynamic between the women um and obviously Nick Shadow uh, and the names. And the, the <laughs> names. Um, yeah, I mean, I think if I had to rank in order my favorite characters, I do think Tom would be at the bottom of the list. <laughs> Sorry, Tom. Um, Can you rank them? Yeah, let's see. I think it goes Baba, then Nick Shadow, <laughs> then Mother Goose, then Anne, although you're... Your clarification that, like, by by chasing him and not staying home, that's, like, actually a pretty bold move, like, might move her up mm-hmm. above Mother Goose if it wasn't for her name. Her name is just, like, <laughs> just too bitchin'. Can't. And, yeah, and then I think Tom's at the bottom. I mean, I, I think he's not admirable. Um, he really doesn't do anything except receive. Like, he's... He receives from Anne. He receives from, well, he gives it to Mother Goose, but you don't, I mean. <laughs> and and he receives from Nick Shadow. like And, and so he's just, he's kind of like a, a pong ball where he's just like floating around and he just goes wherever someone, uh, you know, pongs him into the universe. And so I, yeah, he's, he's. He's not my favorite, and that's where I think especially the, the like, what what is antsy in them? Where does this love come from? But, yeah, I'm trying to get over that. Um, but, yeah, I think it, I think it was great. I, I love the characters. I love the story. Um, I think the fact that we both uh, landed on the, the moral of the story being like, don't follow the path. You'll find freedom if you don't follow like the conventional path is like, oh shit, we're both listening to the devil here. But, but I think we do it in a, in a very ethical and, and delightful and adventurous and fun and supportive way, which is life and we do it because that's what we want to honest to God be doing, not to because someone has told us that's what we should right be and we're doing yeah. it on the inside and the outside we're dating baba but we're also like stoked as hell on baba yeah <laughs> so like we want to be with baba we love her glitter beard yes i just want to make out with it <laughs> <laughs> i want glitter on my face as a result of making out with baba's glitter beard that's all i want out of 2021 hot girl summer hot wench summer hot wench summer <laughs> <laughs> Mother Goose, where are you at? 
The Goose is Loose 2021. Oh my god. <laughs> we'll meet you at Brandenburger Tour. We'll just swipe you right into the Berlin lifestyle. Just two rakes, two expat rakes, living our best lives. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> great. Okay. I'm so glad you appreciated the opera. Yeah, that was great. I, I want to listen to some of the songs. Thank you for listening to me share this opera with you. And uh, if you want to follow our social media, it's at opera.apero on Instagram and at opera.apero on Twitter. I send out a lot of funny, stupid tweets. And I also post opera memes every once in a while and I on Instagram and I post... Uh, whenever the whenever there's a streaming uh, uh, of one of the operas that we've already covered, I'll share that on Instagram so you guys get a chance to watch it if you want to. Follow and at me on there if you want to let me know what you think. And also um, follow and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And yeah, I mean, all that does is help people also find the show, listen to the show. So if you like it, do that. It'll help spread the good word on love. <laughs> and, and buy Sophia a coffee on coffee. Oh, yeah. I set up a buy me a coffee. So if you want to buy me a coffee, you can. We have really good coffee in Berlin. So fund, fund that fund. <laughs> um, so thank you for listening. And I'll be back in two weeks. Thank you. Bye.